I'm afraid that's all the outlines I have there. If um, there may be a couple extras floating around. A word about the outlines. They are partial outlines, actually. Uh, I had a, a lengthier outline available or ready, uh, but um, Karen Crater has been sick the last couple of days, and our copy machine has been sick the last couple of days. Uh, and so uh, I had to do a, uh, an abbreviated version. Believe it or not, that's abbreviated. Um, which will get the, the complete outline uh, to you. We'll probably send it out uh, via email or something like that. Um, you know, guys, as I was uh, just minutes before I left the house, I was uh, scrolling a bit in Facebook and, and I came across this, this invitation from, I think it was Calvary Chapel in Philly. Uh, they're having a men's night I think it's May the 4th or 5th or something like that, and they're having eight, I think it was eight, of the Philadelphia Eagles there, and then Paul Tripp is the speaker. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm, uh, that's, a, that's a tough act to, to match right there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, no lie, this, there's nowhere I'd rather be than here and no, no guys I'd rather be with than you guys. It is uh, the, the brotherhood and the love and the affection and the respect uh, just grow uh, with each passing day and, and week. So to have the chance to talk with you, let, let me give a little background here. I kind of co-opted the uh, teaching for this evening. Uh, the guys are very gracious in that. The reason for that is because We've been uh, going through some material with some of the women in the church uh, and doing some teaching on the roles of women. And in fact, uh, in a month or two, uh, there's going to be a women's event where we talk about that. I talk about that with our sisters in the Lord. And it just seemed like it would be fitting for us to be on the same track, on the same path as them, uh, just doing, well, our parallel path. Uh, focusing on the role of men and uh, how we are to lead and love and live as, as uh, men in Christ and men in the home and in the church. And this, this really isn't, there are aspects of this that are for husbands and fathers, but it really is for all of us as men, whatever our marital status may be. I think you'll sense that there is, there's something here for uh, all of us. Um, there's a I don't think it, it takes a, uh, an especially smart person to, to say and to diagnose that there is a tremendous amount of toxicity and poison and ugliness in our world when we think about the subject of masculinity. Uh, it is the history of men is not a very pleasant history. The, the history of manhood is is, is an ugly one, and it, it is time for us, brothers, it is time for us to rise up. There's an old hymn I grew up singing, rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. You know, it's, it's time for us as brothers, as men in Christ to, to rise up as men of God. And what I want to do this evening is, is, is quickly run through several 
aspects of what it means to be a man of God. What does it mean to be a godly man? What does it mean to live out biblical masculinity? And I've, I've taken the three words, men of God, and uh, uh, turned them into an acrostic and a memory gimmick for us here. Hopefully uh, they'll help you to remember these points, uh, to study these points. When you get the follow-up outline, there'll be a lot of extra material in there. It can turn into a Bible study for you, and I would encourage you to do that. But here are, here are eight aspects of what it is to be a godly man. And let me run through these quickly. I want to give as much time at the end for discussion and all. So I'm going to, I'm going to move quick, uh, but you have an outline so you can follow. So point number one, M, is make your pledge. Make your pledge. My, my primary text is Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them and God blessed them and God said, be fruitful be mul and multiply and have dominion. This is the establishment of the kingdom of God. This is, this is God saying, I am making man and woman so that to get together, they can rule the earth for me. They can be my standard bearers. They can be my kingdom rulers on planet earth. But you know the story. Chapter 3 happens. And in chapter 3, there's an alternative kingdom that invades the planet. There's an alternative king, an alternative prince that, that invades the planet. And, and Satan uh, effectively draws Adam away from God, away from the kingdom of God. Adam pledges his allegiance to a different king, to a different kingdom. And the rest of human history has been bearing the effects of that and the tragedy of that. But God is, through the second Adam, through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, God is establishing his kingdom again. And it will increase and it will abound until the day when Jesus comes back and makes everything new. So for us gentlemen, the question is, to whom will we pledge our allegiance? Which king are we serving? Joshua, you know his words, right? Choose you this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me, finish it, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Gentlemen, there's a choice to be made. There is a pledge to make. Make your pledge. Choose your allegiance. Don't be wimpy on this. Remember Elijah to the prophets and to the people of Baal that were following Baal. He said, how long are you going to be limping between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. But make your choice. Make your choice. Too many Christian men are limping along. Too many Christian men haven't really down deep made their pledge. Brothers, make 
your pledge. Choose your king. And in making that pledge, pledge, covenant, promise, your loyalty, your allegiance, your faithfulness, until you see that king face to face. Make your pledge. That's point one. Point two, elevate your equals. Elevate your equals. There is, there is nothing more important than your relationship with the king. But guys, can I suggest to you that in second place, well, I, I, I don't want to overstate that. I'll say it anyways, and you can figure out whether it's actually true or not. But um, in second place is how we treat and respect women. Elevate your equals. Women are our equals. It does not mean we necessarily have the same role and responsibilities, but as God the Father and God the Son are equals, and yet the Son follows the headship of the Father, there's a distinction of roles, but no distinction in worth, no distinction in value, no distinction in power, no distinction in skill, no distinction in giftedness between the Father and the Son, different roles, but equals. In that same way, we are, are our wives, or the women that are around us are our equals. The picture of paradise, of Adam and Eve in the garden, it's not of Adam in a hammock and, and Eve feeding him grapes. It's not the king of the roost mindset. It's, it's not lord of the home, handing down decrees from on high. It is a picture of a lord and of a lady, of a king and of a queen. The throne of God's kingdom, if you will, in terms of human occupants, is a two-seater throne. There's a his and a hers. That's the picture you get in Genesis. It's not God made male and said, have dominion. It is God made male and female and gave them dominion. Let me just run through these. Women are to be elevated as our equals for at least five reasons. Just gonna go through these quick. Reason number one, because they are image bearers of God. Both male and female, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, image of God. Reason number two, because they are co-rulers for God. Both male and female made to have dominion over the earth. We rule together in the kingdom of God. Number three, because they are our needed help from God. Remember chapter 2? God puts Adam in the garden and, and God says, tend it and cultivate it. And then after a moment or two, God looks at the situation and says, something's wrong here. This man is not capable to do this on his own. I will make him, it is not good for him to be alone. I will make him what? A helper 
suitable, corresponding to, complementing him. Think about that. Gentlemen, the fact that our wives are our helpers in no way speaks of their inferiority. It speaks of our inadequacy. It says to us, we, we need help. God gives to man the responsibility to rule in his kingdom. Man has about 10 seconds worth of doing it. And God looks at it and says, nope, not good. He'd, he'd been saying everything's good to that point. But at that point, he says, nope, not good. Not good. This man, okay, he's, he's, he's made in my image. He's, he's wonderful. He's beautiful. He's glorious. He's strong. He's wise. He's all this. But he's not competent. He cannot do what I have assigned him to do alone. And so God made Eve. And brothers, whether or not you're married, the reality is that there's an aspect of application of this to all of us. All of us men need there to be women in our lives who make up for our deficiencies. No man can do it on his own. We in the body of Christ, we in the fellowship of believers, we need our sisters in the Lord. That's how God designed it. And for that reason, we must elevate our equals. Fourth, because they are fellow children of God. In Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. We are fellow children of God. And number five, we are equal heirs of God. First Peter 3, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So guys, the implications of this are profound. This, this means, brothers, that every time you look at and think about and talk to and interact with a woman, you are to elevate your equal. Yes. Elevate her. Lift her up. There's no room for dissent. There is no room for name calling. There's no room for sarcasm. There's no room for treating them as inferiors. There's no room for treating them and demeaning them as sex objects. There's, there's, there's no room to diss their opinions or their gifts or to abuse them or misuse them or domineer them or boss them or manipulate them or degrade them or coerce them. They are your equals. God will one day hold you accountable for how you treated your equals. Elevate your equals. Third point, never quit. There may not be any, hey, I had to make the, the acronym work here, so there may not be any logical order to some of these, but you know, humor me on this, all right? Never quit. Notice in chapter 2 and verse 24, when God gives Eve to Adam, at, uh, the Lord establishes the uh, marriage bond and he says, 
And so a, a man will leave his father and mother and do what? Hold, cleave or hold fast to his wife. It's, it speaks of a strong commitment. It's, it speaks of an enduring commitment. It's, it's, it speaks of never quitting. Never quitting. And in chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned and God, and God is, is pronouncing judgment on Eve and Adam, and he says to the man that is by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life, he's going to bring forth food. And, and the whole point, one of the things you get from that is he, because of the curse, working is going to be hard. But the man is not given the option of quitting. Sweat of the brow all the days of your life. Gentlemen, a character quality we need is endurance. In our marriages, in our relationships within the church, in our fatherhood, in our ministry. There, there, are, there are phrases in scripture that capture my imagination, that just, they do something to me whenever I hear them or read them. You know, phrases like, uh, let my people go. It's like, whoa. You know, there's like God thundering from that, let my people go. Dwell on that, think on that, it, it stirs you. Or there's a phrase in Isaiah, I think it is, that we need to, we need to sink our roots downward that we can bear fruit upward. I just love the imagery of that. It's how life is to work. Sink roots downward, bear fruit upward. And then there's a couple. Here's, here's, in 2 Samuel 23, we read of a man named Eleazar. He was one of David's mighty men. And he was defying the Philistines and fighting the Philistines. And it says there that he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. You ever, you ever work so hard that your fingers just kind of froze around the shovel or froze around the hammer? because they, they were just locked into place. Eleazar just kept fighting the enemy until his hand clung to the sword. They had to pry his hand off the sword at the end of the battle. What an image of endurance, of pressing through, of fighting on, of not quitting. Or another image in Judges 8, we read of Gideon and his 300 fighting men and, and they come to the Jordan and they're chasing the enemies of Israel and says they came to the Jordan and they crossed over and here's the phrase that captures me, exhausted yet pursuing. Exhausted yet pursuing. that describe any of you? Definitely the exhausted part. How about the pursuing part? Exhausted yet pursuing. Hand clinging to the sword. Exhausted yet pursuing. Wonderful images of endurance. Never quit. If that, if, 
you know, if that, the very thought of that tires you out, uh, wow, I can't quit, I gotta keep on going. Well, take it from an old guy. I once was young, but now I'm old. And I have never seen the Lord's grace fail me yet. God's, great, God's grace and God's strength and God's enablement are such that he, he, he enables us, he strengthens us to grasp the sword, to, to keep on pressing on. So if our marriages are, are struggling, hang in there, guys. Do not quit. If you're having trouble with your kids, don't quit. Fight on in their behalf. If, if there's ministry going on and it's discouraging, Keep your hand attached to that sword. Keep fighting. You may be exhausted, but pursue. 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 It's a mark of manhood. Biblical masculinity. Paul actually says to the Christian uh, Corinthians, act like men. Be strong. Act like men. Be strong. And here I would just say what Corey shared with us earlier is so vital. You try to do this on your own and you will, you'll fall into battle. But do this with a band of brothers. Do this in fellowship with others. Eleazar, one of David's mighty men, was one of David's mighty men. There were others. Moses had his Joshua. Elijah had his Elisha. Jesus had his disciples. Paul had his Timothy. Don't try to do this alone. Iron sharpens iron. It's as we stand together in the battle that we will not quit. Oh, occupy the lead. Occupy the lead. Gentlemen, God is looking to us to lead in our homes, in the church. God is looking to us to lead. There are hints of this all through the Genesis account. Uh, let me just quickly highlight a few of them. Um, hints of leadership, hints that the man was meant to lead. First of all, notice who was made first. Who was made first? Adam was. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 11 that that means that men are to lead because the man was not made from woman, but the woman from the man. The man came first. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy 2 where he says that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man, but to, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. It's, it's just God's logic. God, God said, I wanted you to know who I wanted to lead by who I made first. Who, who came into existence first, man did. Then man is to lead. Man is to lead. And the woman was made for the man. As, as her, his helper. The, there's, there, you can study out the various ways that leadership is suggested in Genesis 1 and 2. They're in your outline there. But let me just, let me just mention this one. Um, whose sin got us all into trouble? 
Adam's sin, not Eve's. Eve sinned first, but it was Adam's sin. In Romans 5, we, say, uh, we see that death came into the world through one man. 1 Corinthians 15, for as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You ever thought about this? Why didn't we all die in Eve? We died in Adam. Because Adam was made to be the representative leader of the human race. Adam was made to represent us. So when he sinned, we all died in him. Notice in the garden when Adam and Eve have just sinned and they go hiding and God comes along. Notice that God doesn't call out, hey Eve, where are you? He calls out to Adam, where are you? Why? Because he was responsible for her. He represented her. His sin is what got us into trouble. It means, however, that man leads. For better or worse, man is called to lead. The Bible's full of this, and that I'm going to include it in, in the outline that you that you receive later. But let me, let me just read this real, real quick. And I uh, want to make sure I don't take too much time on this. But let me, when it comes to leadership, guys, the Bible is really emphatic in being gender aware in the home and in the church. The Bible is emphatic that men are to lead. Um, so let me, just, let me just listen to this. It's not in your notes. It will be in the larger outline you get. God chose that the Bible itself be written entirely by men. 42 men, not a single woman. God chose to reveal himself in his love initiating and leading roles primarily as father and as husband. And he created marriage and the role of the husband and father in the home to picture his husband-father heart. Adam was made first, a fact that is appealed to more than once in support of male leadership roles in home and church. Eve was made to help Adam and was made for him, Genesis 2, 1 Corinthians 11, not the reverse. Adam names Eve, a role in scripture clearly implying authority and leadership. Adam, as the first representative head of the human race, committed the sin that condemned us, not Eve. The human race is called man or mankind in Genesis 5, which reflects a biblical impulse to see men as the representative head of their families and others. Leadership roles are almost always given by God or his son to men, from Adam to Abraham to Moses to Joshua to the heads of households to the chief of tribes and kings of Israel to the twelve apostles to husbands to church elders to the thrones of the apostles in heaven. All the major New Testament texts on marriage either assume or command the husband's headship leadership role with matching calls for a woman's submission. The Bible is explicit more than once regarding a woman's need to be silent in certain moments when a local church is gathered. That is, when teaching to men and or when public assessment of prophecy is involved. And the Bible clearly forbids spiritual, ecclesiastical, or church authority roles for women in the household of God. This, this is 
This is everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere. Which means, guys, we're called to lead. When a baby boy is born, a leader is born. And that male will lead even if he tries not to. We as men have a leadership role in the world, in the church, in our homes that we cannot escape. I think it was Doug Wilson who said that you could hop in a plane and fly to the opposite end of the earth and abandon your family and still be the primary leader in your family. Only you'd be leading them in a very bad way. You'd be still having a primary influence on their lives through your neglect. God has made us to lead. Now we are to lead humbly and we are to lead wisely and we are to lead as servants, and, but we are to lead, occupy the lead. F, feed and fortify, feed and fortify. We are called to provide. Genesis 3, God says to the man, work the ground. You're going to have thorns, you're going to have thistles. Work the ground. You're going to eat from the plants of the field. It's going to cause you sweat, but work the ground. Because your job is to provide, to feed, to fortify. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we are to love our wives as we love our own bodies. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but does what? Nourishes and cherishes his own body. And Paul's saying we are to nourish our wives. We're to feed them. Feed them physically, yes, but in the context there is talking about the nourishment of the word, the nourishment of truth. We're called to feed and to fortify. G, guard, I'll put it like this, guard your group. Guard your group. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, God puts Adam in the garden and tells him to, to tend it and keep it. He's calling Adam to be a gardener and a guardian. A gardener and a guardian. He is to keep it, to guard it, to protect it. That's what it means to be a man. We are, we are to stand guard over things that have value, things that have worth, and, and that treasure that is above all other created treasures are the women, the children that are in our lives, the people that are around us, the group that we are a part of. Guard them. Guard them. You know, this is why, this is why abuse is such a wretched thing. When a, when a man takes the strength that God has given to him and turns it to abuse rather than protecting, he ceases to be a man. He's a monster at that point. He's, 
He's something less than what he was made to be. That strength, you know, Peter says, you know, our wives are the weaker vessel. That means, you know, all things being equal, equal amount of nourishment, equal amount of exercise. Uh, the man usually will be physically stronger. That strength is given to protect and to provide. And when we turn it and twist it and pervert it to abuse, it's a, it's a wretched thing. It's a, it's, it's not a, it's a criminal thing, but it's, 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 it's a wretched thing. Guard your group. Guard your wives and the women around you. Guard their purity. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul says that don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all what? Purity. Guard their purity. Every woman in our church and in our lives should feel utterly safe with us. They should see us looking into their eyes alone. Guard their safety. Everywhere in scripture, everywhere in scripture, men are seen as the protectors and the defenders. Not, not that women are incapable of doing this. There are some mighty valiant women in the world and always have been, but men are, this is, this is our job guys. It's what we're made to do. Let me, let me insert here an announcement slash request. You're all aware of the various shootings that have gone on and, and you know, just the, even in our own community in the past month or two, a church that was threatened with, with shooting. And we are very actively developing a security team in risen hope, and we want this to be manned by men. Uh, we want as many as are physically able uh, and willing to, to at least offer your service, service so that you can take turns in being part of a security team, men who are watching out for the safety of wife and kids. Please consider doing this. This is a part of what it means to be a man. This is something that every one of us, you know, if we're physically able, we should think about this. this yes, I'll do that. Um, if you're interested, Pat Paris is helping us put that team together. So please see Pat and, uh, and offer that. Guard their physical safety. And then third, guard their relational security their moral purity, their physical safety, their relational security. R. Kent Hughes puts it like this. Men are our wives, must be able to rest in the fact of our fidelity. Gentlemen, even those who are not our wives should be able to rest in the fact of our fidelity. But our wives, everything about us, our eyes, our language, our schedules, and our passion must say to her, I am and will always be faithful to you. 
you must guard the relational security of our wives and, and of all the women in our lives in a different way, but similar way. We must guard their safety and their security of all the women around us in such a way that they just know they're safe with us. Oh, that God, you know, we live in a world, guys, where, where women, a, a, what's the right word? Too large of a majority of women in our culture and our society have been victimized by men one way or another. Too large of a percentage of women in our culture and society do not trust men because men have failed to be trustworthy. Let's make this a goal, brothers, that in this place, in this congregation, the women will feel safe. The women will feel and know they are respected, they are honored, they are protected, they are safe with us. I have had occasion here and I've had it in my previous church where women have come up to me and said things like, for the first time in my life, I feel safe around men. I wanna hear that, guys. We all should want to hear that. So guard your group, whatever that group is, guard them quickly. Optimize your opportunity. Optimize your opportunity. Adam was, Adam was called to be a gardener. And the word that is used in Genesis 2 means he was told to cultivate the earth, to cultivate the garden. That means he was to take the resources that were there and, and optimize them. Do whatever it would take to create a harvest, to create growth to take advantage of the resources and make something good in it. Guys, we as men who are leaders in the home, leaders in the church, we are called to optimize the opportunity or to, to steward well the resources that are entrusted to us. And that includes, if we're married, that includes our wife. One of the things I, I really emphasized when I was talking to a group of women recently is all the things that God frees them to do. There, there's a couple of things the Bible says, God says, a woman is not to do. She is not to teach men in the church, and she is not to have spiritual authority over men in the church. And, and in 1 Corinthians 14, she's not to... Uh, publicly question or critique uh, prophetic words. But she can do everything else. And what I did was I, I ran through the scriptures with the ladies and I just read to them all the different things that the, the women of scripture did. And it's this vast array of spiritual gifts on display and courage and valor and, and wisdom and discernment and, and knowledge and understanding all the way from Sarah, who it says in Peter, she was not afraid of anything frightening. <laughs> she was just this woman who took on it all. There was uh, Deborah who inspired uh, the, the army of Israel to actually, you know, get off their rear ends and actually do something. And, and it's, you know, you have, you have 
Esther who saved a nation and you have Ruth who was incredibly loyal and became the, the grandmother of David and, you, and then you have, you have Phoebe who in Romans 16 is this woman that Paul says to the church in Rome, whatever she needs, give it to her. She's, I entrust to her enormous responsibility. Now you provide for her everything she needs. Okay, yeah, women can't preach to men. Women can't be elders. But women can do just about everything else. And we guys, we who are married, we're entrusted with this amazing help, this amazing gift. You know, I look at Galen and I say, okay, it's, it's not just that I'm supposed to love her, but I am to actively cultivate her, help her cultivate her gifts in such a way that her gifts are maximized for the glory of God, that she gets as much done for the kingdom as is possible for her to do. She's not just there to kind of help me along with my gifts. It is a, it's a shared stu I'm a steward. I'm responsible. Ultimately, I'll answer to God for this because God entrusted her gifts to my care and to my leadership. Now, it's up to me. It's up to me to work with her and pray with her and think with her and plan with her in such a way that her gifts are maximized, my gifts are maximized, and the two of us become a force. Amen. And every one of you the same thing who are married. This is, this is amazing, guys. This, this is amazing. And when you start to think about it, it, it turns, you know, we here in this church, we, we, we hold it as one of our values, one of, one of the things that matter to us. Uh, we call it complementarianism, where, where husbands and wives work together and the man leads, but, but he leads in such a way that he is, that he is stewarding his marriage and his family in such a way that it maximizes the impact of their gifts for the glory of God. This, is, this isn't your traditional macho male dominance on the one hand, and it's not your feministic stuff on the other hand. This is just robust, glorious, Male, female together, man leading, yes, woman following, yes, but man together, they are a force. Guys, can I charge you to see your marriage that way? Can I charge you to optimize the opportunity? Can I, can I charge you to make a difference in this world with your wife at your side? empowering her to be all that God has gifted her to be as she is at your side, enabling and empowering you to be all that God has gifted you to be. One day you'll be accountable for it, as we all are. To whom much is given from him shall much be required. We're all going to one day be held accountable for what's been entrusted to us. Well, God has entrusted our wives and their gifts to us to accomplish good and great things for his glory. Finally, D is die daily. Die daily. In Genesis 3, by the sweat of your brow. <laughs> this is funny. All right, Adam. You're going to have to grind it out. All the days of your life. 
you're gonna have to go, you're gonna have to grind it out. You're gonna sweat and you're gonna bleed and you're gonna have to die to yourself. You're gonna have to die to yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when God or when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. That's the call. That's the call. Men of God, make your pledge. Elevate your equals. Never quit. Occupy the lead. Feed and fortify. Guard your group. Optimize your opportunity. And die daily. That's what it means to be a man. Yeah, let's pray. Father, would you please make us godly men. And remind us, Father, that while in the first Adam we all died, in the second Adam we've all been made alive. In Christ, we have forgiveness in Christ, we have strength in Christ, we have all the grace and enablement we need to be this kind of man. And when we fail, in Christ we have forgiveness. Help us to be men who rise up as men of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.